Hello. We have a God who loves to speak to us. And so it's my privilege to read um, from us, uh, for us from Luke chapter 22, verses 1 to 38. And you can find it in the leaflet that you got um, coming in or follow along on the screen next to me. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the 12. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you to a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. They prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me, is, is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer to you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. I now tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching fulfill its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Matt. I really enjoyed our last uh, Sunday here, having Colonel Light Gardens and Tonsley together for one last time. It was a very encouraging morning. And well done to Trinity Church Tonsley. It's no mean feat to host a service for 270 uh, people on your third week in a new venue. It was really great. And thanks to everyone who worked so hard to bring that together. And amongst the excitement, there was a note of sadness, however, as many were processing, farewelling people that they love. Uh, you will be dearly missed uh, from Kernelite Gardens. And I know we've got people from, uh, coming to us from Allgate, Mount Barker, uh, Trinity City, Brighton too, who will be missed from your local churches there. And for all those listening along to the podcast, driving home after a long weekend, you too will be missed. Sure, we'll see each other again, but there's something really special about the bonds that are created amongst a local church family. For those staying at Colonel Light Gardens, it was sad last week to look around at the Tonsley group as we commissioned you, knowing that week in, week out, serving Jesus together in the same church family, that same tight relationship, had come to an end. While I get to see you plenty this year, the rest of Colonel Light Gardens does not. And as I was kind of looking around last week as we sort of stood up and uh, commissioned each other, I did notice uh, a few tears and tears mingled with joy. And it took me back actually to some four years earlier as we were preparing to start Trinity Church Unley to a moment I was sitting in a cafe with our then head of music, Chris Castledine. Now, I found church planning at Kernelite Gardens in 2013 fairly challenging and Chris had been with us from the very first day. And no matter how my week had gone, whenever I saw Chris walk into the RSL with his guitar, I knew everything was going to be okay. <laughs> it was a deep relationship formed over many years. So as we were sitting there in the cafe and he let me know that he and his family had decided to head out with the church plant to Unley, we both wept a little. Roll the clock forward uh, a couple of weeks and I was in the car with my then nine-year-old son, Jack, who asked if Chris was staying at Kernelite Gardens. 
which was code for his, in his nine-year-old way for his, his son Tom, one of Jack's best friends, staying. And I told him they were heading planting. Uh, Jack burst into tears. I remember the specific tea junction we were sitting at at Colonel Light Gardens and Jack bursting into tears, I burst into tears. I couldn't move forward for a minute. Luckily, there was no traffic. And I remember saying to Jack, do you know why we're doing this, mate? And he replied in his nine-year-old little way, he said, yeah, because lots of people need to know about Jesus. And through his tears, he followed up with, I'll be all right, Dad, (laughs) which made me cry all the more as as a father. Because you form really strong bonds together, doing something hard, serving Jesus together for his glory in the church. It's great by coincidence to have Pete and Carrie and the family with us this morning. Welcome, kids. Great to have you with us, who were people that we sent out to Trinity Church uh, Unley, who are just visiting with us today, just to check things out. Um, Because it was kind of around about that time, and from that, my experience in the car with Jack, that we kind of came up with a bit of phrase that I think is a really good one to take to heart. And it goes something like this. As we plant churches, we're prepared to fracture relationships with people that we really love for the sake of people that we haven't met yet coming to know Jesus. As we first left Trinity Church Adelaide many years ago, there were stacks of people we hadn't met, most of you in this room, and actually if you run through the tally of things, all the people have gone off to Unley and other churches around the network and taken jobs interstate and things like that, over a thousand people, well over a thousand people that we hadn't met yet as we started. So I want to sort of firstly say as a new church family, look forward to all the people that you haven't met yet, love them and love them in the deepest way possible, sharing the gospel with many. With one last sermon before we begin this new church publicly next week, I actually chose this passage to take us back to the very heart of why we do all of this, to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. To encourage you firstly to always keep it at the very centre of everything that we do as a church, to rejoice in it, to proclaim it to many. But also that it might be the sustaining fuel that keeps you going when things get hard, when the gloss of something new wears off. That God's grace to you through Jesus would so capture you that you'll show that same grace to each other even when you're tired, even when you're hurt. So that your relationships might grow together in real depth and substance as God's grace reigns amongst this new church family. All for the glory of God and one day perhaps If it's God's will, you might be prepared to fracture these great relationships you make over the coming years for the sake of people that you haven't met yet coming to know Jesus. So let's have a look at Jesus explaining in his own words his coming death at the cross and just how central it is to the entire biblical storyline as he meets for one last meal with his closest friends. Let's look at it together. It would be great to have the insert in your leaflet there in front of you. In the opening few verses, we see the tension between Jesus and the religious establishment that we've been reading about in final, uh, in final chapters uh, as we started off uh, this year at Kernelite Gardens. 
This tension that's been building finally reaches fever pitch and just boils over. With the Jewish leaders looking to do away with Jesus and with a little help from Satan, we're provided with an opportunity. As one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Judah seeks them out, money changes hands, and an opportunity is sought to hand Jesus over away from the crowds who were hanging on Jesus' every word. This and the skirmishes Jesus had with the religious elite is all in the lead-up to the coming Passover feast. You know that mix of excitement, kind of tension, unsettledness that descends on a city when a major car race or festival is on, every hotel is full, people come to town and stay with relatives and friends. There's more people out in the street at night. Some are having fun, some are getting up to no good, traffic gets a little crazy. Now we live in Adelaide of all places, so we've got to take our experience of that and kind of dial it up about 10 times to kind of feel the energy of what it would have been like to be in Jerusalem as the Passover, one of the great celebrations as people filled the city to the brink came. And it's among that kind of slightly crazy energy and tension as the festival finally kicks off, as Jesus says, verse 8, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Verse 9, where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. Which is pretty uh, practical and important question when you think about it. Busiest night in the hospitality calendar, the city at capacity, no place to call home. Uh, you can't just got to sit somewhere and order some Passover lamb on Uber Eats. Yet in Jesus' reply, we see the perfect insight of someone fully God, fully man, who knows the most important meal on his life on earth has been ordained for him down to the smallest detail. So the disciples follow his instructions. You know, man carrying a jar of water's there. They follow him to a generously sized upper room that is, you know, unbooked, and they prepare to make the Passover feast there. And it's worth noting that our narrator Luke is working overtime to draw us, the reader's, attention to the fact that it was the Passover. The Passover festival dated back many hundreds of years earlier as Israel languished in slavery under the hands of the Egyptians. God had declared that his judgment was about to fall on Egypt all those years ago and that he would strike down every firstborn person and animal. And as a result, Egypt would finally let Israel go so that God could rescue his people. Uh, you can read about it in Exodus 12, verses 1 to 14, just to get a, a short summary of a much wider story. But today, for all of us here, young or old, for the, the kids in with us today, it's great to have you with us. Not really kids anymore, growing uh, into youth. It's great to have you with us. But just imagine what it would have been like to have been born into slavery so many years ago in Egypt. As whole generations were born, lived as children and, and young adults of slaves, they were pressed into hard labour from an early age for the Egyptians, growing up as teenagers under slavery. For those of you, uh, for those of you who would get married, being married as a slave, starting families knowing that your children would be slaves, being worked ruthlessly until you are old, and could work no more. 
Then as the time comes, saying farewell to loved ones and dying, having lived your whole life as a slave and never knowing what it meant to be free. Just imagine it. Sadly, I suspect you would have got used to it. It would have been your normal and you'd try and find moments of happiness and joy where you could, but life would just have its routines. It would be familiar because you'd never experienced anything else. Hard to imagine then what it would have been like then as the story spread amongst the people that Moses and his brother Aaron had been told by God that he was going to rescue his people from slavery. That these men had been called by God to confront Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go. Yet Pharaoh didn't. It's hard to describe what it would have been like to live through the plagues described for us, the locusts, the howl, the frogs. And then to hear there was one more plague and after that Pharaoh would let you your families, your fellow countrymen and friends go and you would be free. Mind-blowing. <laughs> that God was going to pass through Egypt and bring harsh judgment upon the Egyptians for their many sins. Striking down every firstborn, port, firstborn person and animal in every household from the greatest to the least. Yet for you as slaves, as the people God loved and showed favour to, in your household, no one need die if you trusted and obeyed God. So on the tenth day of the month, each dad was to take a year-old lamb, you know, a perfect-looking one, not the one walking around with a limp in the field, perfect one without defect, and bring it into the home. And you had to care for it for four days like a pet. Imagine the young kids would be pretty excited, Robin. Then at sunset, after four days though, this lamb needed to die and be prepared in a special way and eaten. Not raw, not boiled, but like we do here in Australia, roasted over open flame of a barbecue. As a sign of your trust in God, that some of the blood was being to be painted on the sides and the top of the door frame. A door frame like that one that we've got over there. So just imagine for a moment, what, who's firstborn children here? I'm not. Firstborns? A few firstborns around the film, but probably perhaps overrepresented. I don't know what that says. <laughs> but imagine, as you as the firstborn, what it would have been like to be an Israelite in the house after dinner that night. Dad, have you done that stuff with the doorpost yet? <laughs> I will, I will. Just get the dishes done and get to bed. You need your sleep. Apparently we're going to be set free from slavery tomorrow. You'll need your energy for a long walk. You know, so it's nine o'clock. You can't sleep. You jump out of bed. Dad's on his iPad binge watching Drive to Survive on Netflix. <laughs> Have you done that stuff with the, with the blood yet, Dad? Get to bed, Eels. You need your sleep. 11 o'clock comes around. The house is all quiet now. The lights are out. So you creep out of bed and you head out to the front door in the starlight. And you see that indeed Dad... It's something that we learn in pre-launching. Dad has painted blood over the doorpost. Imagine the relief. 
creep back into bed, pull up the covers and fall into a deep and restful sleep. But when you awake to the news that in every household in Egypt without blood on the doorpost that the firstborn children has died, as you see the mourning, the tears, it would really hit you in the heart as the firstborn still living at that point. You'd have an incredibly strong sense that you live because that one perfect lamb that lived among you for a time died in your place. That night as God came in judgment upon Israel, striking down the first firstborn in every household, every time he saw blood on the doorframe, he would pass over that house. His judgment would not fall upon those who trusted in him, and blood had already been spilled in that household to atone for sin. And with that background now, I think we're fully ready to appreciate what's going on with Jesus and his disciples that last night. Come back to the passage, verse 15. Jesus knew he was about to die, and he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And Jesus explains, verse 16, why he's so eager. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it, being the Passover meal, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus is linking there his death with the Passover. So it's in this context, verses 17 and 18, uh, that confirm this, when he takes the cup of wine and he says, take this, uh, sorry, it takes the, takes the bread and takes the wine. And he says, take this uh, bread and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus is saying that everything the Passover is about is all going to be fulfilled in his coming death. And he's tightly linking this Passover and his death together. So there's many different parts to the Passover meal that the Jews would have been familiar with, went on for many hours. And as part of the meal, they recalled together the great rescue and that the firstborn was saved because the perfect lamb died in his place. And it was at that kind of moment in the proceedings of the evening that Jesus takes bread and breaks it. And he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of, of me. Jesus is saying that the Passover, this great rescue and the exodus out of Egypt that followed was all pointing to him. In his coming death just hours away, it finds its fulfilment as the once for all Passover lamb dies on the cross. And then we're told there in Luke that kind of after the meal, uh, they take the wine together. And again, it was customary after the meal to have a wine nice thing to do, to recall the exodus from Egypt and the Jewish people relive the fact that God rescued his people for a reason. He was calling them to be his special people. They recalled God making a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. A covenant's just like a contract or agreement that defines the terms and conditions on which a relationship happens. So they're remembering with a glass of wine that God made this contract, a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai because he wanted to have a special relationship with them. 
instructing Moses to say to the people, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's what the Jews would have remembered for hundreds of years up until this point. As they remembered this covenant, this special relationship they had with God, customary after the Passover meal, it is at exactly this moment that Jesus takes up the cup of wine and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Because Jesus knows God doesn't overlook sin forever, and that eventually it falls just like it did on Egypt, and the price for sin is death. God hates the way that we treat his world, the way we make war, the way we treat the environment, the way we push others down in faraway places so we can live a better life with more stuff. But most importantly, we don't treat our creator God right. We don't love him with all of our heart, despite the fact he lovingly gives us every meal, every moment of laughter, every cup of wine, every breath we take. Yet because he loves us so much, Jesus came to be our Passover lamb. His blood was spilled so that all who trust in Jesus' death on the cross in our place will have God's judgment pass over us. We now can live in a new relationship with God under a new covenant, free from the fear of death, free from the fear of judgment. Because in many ways, our world as we look around us, we are much like the Israelites living in slavery in Egypt. We long for life to be extraordinary, yet so often it falls short. You put the power of marketing and social media together, even in a blessed place like we live, we live in a state of envy. New cars get old, holidays pass, and there's so much in our world that is broken. We hate the idea of passing into oblivion. We want to live forever. And like slaves in a foreign land, we've never experienced anything different. So we think the way the world works today is normal. We think sickness is normal. We think broken relationships are just part of life. We think hunger, poverty and war are normal. We think death and saying goodbye to the ones we love is normal. So we try to have fun where we can. We try and protect those we love the closest. But Jesus, as he strode this earth, fully man, fully God, healed the sick, brought people back into relationship with God and with each other. He raised the dead. To give us a preview of something far more extraordinary, his kingdom and a new world that is coming, a world free from its slavery to sin and all that comes with it, including death itself. 
and he calls us into a new covenant relationship with him through Jesus' death on the cross. Through a new covenant sealed with Jesus' blood where he dies in our place, the perfect, spotless Passover lamb. Every person on the planet has fallen short of God's glory. We all have a record of sin against each other and our creator God. Yet when judgment day comes, God's wrath against sin will pass over all who have placed their trust in Jesus. And we bear his message that God offers a new covenant, a new contract to all people. As our story continues, we see Jesus in perfect control, with perfect insight of what's now going to take place, betrayal by Judas, a rather unseemly dispute on which of his disciples would be considered the greatest. And with a calm yet very clear final lesson from Jesus is that in his kingdom, it is those who serve who are the greatest. Jesus, knowing Simon Peter's weakness and his coming denial, when it's all on the line, lets him know that he's been praying for him and he will strengthen him to take a key role with his disciples. And finally, Jesus lets him know that their coming ministry will be one of trial and danger. Whereas before they could head out without provisions and lack nothing, now they should be prepared. My goal for this sermon today is a simple one is for us to be struck afresh by what Jesus has achieved on the cross for all who trust in him. So that we might rejoice our hearts and dedicate ourselves to keeping the cross of Christ central always in this new church family. And that we're going to keep serving Jesus who first served us, I'm going to keep working out how we can play our part in the mission Jesus gave us to go and make disciples. Whether it's planting new churches, reading the Bible with people one-on-one, -on -one, finding new and inventive ways to love our neighbours and to let our local community know that we're here, what a great provision it is that over a thousand people will walk past next week on our public launch and see that there's a church here. You couldn't pay for that kind of advertising. But that we'll keep doing whatever it takes to serve Jesus together and look to him each day for the strength to keep doing so. Today I don't really want to close with next steps, plans or ideas. But I do want to close with one last go at appreciating the beauty of the cross of Christ. And it actually comes from the last words of Jesus recorded for us to his disciples before they head out into the night and events transpire that lead to Jesus' death on the cross. And it's actually something, I'd, it's always nice when you read a passage that you've read many times and spot something new. And for me, this came from Luke 22, verse 37. I think there's a slide for it up on screen there, uh, Anita. Where Jesus says, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. 
What Jesus is doing here is quoting from Isaiah 53, written some 700 years or so earlier, and in his last words to his disciples before the events of the night were carrying him away, saying, in these next few hours, I'm going to fulfill everything that was ever prophesied about me. So I thought just as a final act together this morning, we might read Isaiah 53 together as it's one of the clearest parts in the Old Testament that show how this is Jesus' death on the cross has always been at the heart of God's eternal plans. We'll close by reading it together and I'll close in prayer. Should be there ready to go for us. Isaiah 53. Let's say this together. Nice loud voices. Together. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let me close together in prayer. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what Christ has accomplished for all those who trust in him on the cross. We thank you for this beautiful explanation from Jesus how this has always been at the centre of your plans and stretches right throughout the Bible from cover to cover. 
that we have been uh, shown grace and mercy as our perfect Passover lamb dies in our place on the cross. Please help Trinity Church Tonsley always to keep the cross central. May they rejoice in it. May they remind each other of it. And may they proclaim it to many. We stand here today on the cusp of the public launch, looking forward to the many people that we haven't met yet. We pray in your grace and kindness you might give us the blessing of sharing the good news of Jesus with many through this church. All for your glory and honour we pray. Amen.